Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The Final Four is set in basketball's playoffs, and BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered with all the odds, props, promos, and parlays for the conference finals. Use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose, and we appreciate that you have stopped in however and whenever it is that you so choose to the 1,230th episode of the Take It Easy podcast. It's a show we've been doing for close to four years. Sometimes you just like to throw on the microphones, chat for 30 minutes a day. It's like going to the gym. We do it five days a week, sometimes six based on wired up schedules and I enjoy doing these shows with all of you. Today, we've got our friend Walter Mitchell joining us. He has been on at least six dozen of those 1,230 Take It Easy podcasts over the years. A great friend of mine. We've done a great podcast for a couple of years over on the Arizona Cardinals front. It's called the Red Rain Podcast. You can listen to it wherever you get pods. There's links in the description to this episode that will lead you to the Red Rain Podcast. Click on CKSAML Productions in the link to this episode. And we just might get to share some Arizona Cardinals content with you. But Besides being a great NFL writer and a big Arizona Cardinals fan over at Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell also enjoys watching himself some golf. And you may not have noticed, but over the weekend, Brooks Kepka and Victor Hovland had themselves a duel at the PGA Championship. It was exciting and interesting, and Walter Mitchell had his eyes on all of it, as did I. I was working an Oakland A's baseball game, another parallel with Walter. Walter's favorite baseball team going back to 1966 is the Oakland Athletics. Granted, the Oakland Athletics this year are the worst team in baseball since Walter was a child in 1966, on pace to lose 130 baseball games, which has never happened in a 162-game season in the history of the sport. But the Oakland A's are on pace to pull that off this year as the worst team in any baseball season since 1988 through Thirty through 49 games. They have the worst record of any baseball team since 1988. And Walter was watching the golf, 
instead of the Oakland A's. I was watching the golf instead of the Oakland A's and the incredible battle between Brooks Kepka and Victor Hovland. We're going to talk about that. We're going to probably talk a little bit about live golf and PGA golf as Walter is a big golf guy and I always enjoy bringing him on the platform to give voice to a sport that normally doesn't get a lot of traction here on the show because I am what you might call a casual golf fan. I pop in and out of the tournament. If I've got other plans going on, I might skip out even on a major like I did with part of the Masters this year, but I was locked in on the Brooks Kepka versus Victor Hovland duel. Kepka ended up winning the tournament with a birdie on 16 and Hovland bogeying. That was the the hole that sealed the deal on Brooks Kepka's PGA Championship victory. He finished second at the Masters, now wins the second major of the year. We're going to talk about all of that here today with our friend Walter Mitchell from Revenge of the Birds and the Red Rain Podcast. It's a Walter Mitchell Golf Power Hour here on a lovely Tuesday. That way we don't forget and we uh we don't just do golf analysis for ourselves instead of the people. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we are joined today on the Take It Easy podcast by our friend Walter Mitchell. You guys have heard of him. He's been on this show, I want to say a few dozen times over the years now, and we've done these golf podcasts going back to 2021. So, Walter, I will defer to you here because uh, I did watch the PGA Championship, but I'm sure I didn't watch it as intently as you were. So what did you make of everything that happened over the weekend? Tremendous weekend for golf. Um, just incredible excitement um, generated at the PGA at Oak Hill, which is such a challenging track. Um, the rough there is just um, brutal, and it takes precision um, and, and distance because the holes are long. The par fives are plus 600. Um, but I mean, let's get to the, to the most amazing part of the tournament, which was the block party that was being thrown all four days from a PGA pro Michael block from California who put on just an extraordinary show. I mean, this was, He's played in majors before, so this wasn't his first rodeo per se. But, I mean, it's such a rare um, occasion when one of the club pros at the PGA, um, and I think they they take like 15 of the most qualified, I think they have to qualify, um, club pros, which is unique to, um, you know, the majors. And of which uh, Michael uh, Block uh, qualified. So again, so he comes into the field, and the fact that he made the cut, um, particularly on that kind of a course, the fact that, I mean, on a, in a PGA Championship, he went 70, 70, 70 in the in the pouring rain on Saturday, and then seventy one yesterday including the epic hole in one that he had uh mm-hmm. he didn't even see go in that you know rory mcelroy who was an ideal playing partner for for um f- for michael block on that 
particular day, I mean, went over and hugged him and said, congratulations. He said, well, what did I get close to the hall? And he said, no, you're in. And um, I mean, the, <clears throat> the cheer that went up um, from the crowd on that shot was um, on the, on the, the um, noise meter, the loudest <clears throat> of the weekend for sure. I mean, just a phenomenal way to, <clears throat> to end his, his uh, four days there. He takes home the, uh, the, the PGA club um, crystal cup for, um, you know, the best score from a PGA pro. Um, and he did it in such, it's almost like, uh, you know, the CBS and even ESPN who was doing the earlier coverage, you know, on Thursday and Friday, they were, you know, they mic'd him up and early on, I think it was on, um, on Thursday even, or maybe it was Friday after he scored a 70 on the first round, um, <clears throat> which put him right, you know, right in the thick of the leaderboard. Um, they walked a hole with him and interviewed him. And I thought it was compelling. The guy obviously has such charisma and a, a kind of a, you know, um, self-deprecating style um that's that's very uh attractive and you know just obviously just so grateful to be able to play in a venue like that and um you know and said all along he's just soaking in like he's just living a dream and um um so they mic'd him up again i think again saturday and sunday for a whole and uh and he delivered with shot. I mean, this is why he, while he was playing a hole and delivered with great shots. And, you know, it's a testament to his prowess as a golfer. I mean, you don't go 70, 70, 70, 71 at the PGA Championship without having just, a, you know, a tremendously consistent golf swing that you can replicate, and which he did over and over. I mean, on a very tricky course, a long course, too. I mean, he's in his 40s. I think he's 46. I mean, you got to pump it out there on this course. Like I said, there's so many long holes and they're narrow and you got to hit the fairways. You know, he just navigated his way around and kept his poise. The moment never got too, too big for him, which was extraordinary, too. And then uh, finally, you know, when they were interviewing me at the end, I mean, he had a good, you know, I mean, she... Uh, the the um, the uh, announced the the interviewer um, I'm forgetting her name at the moment. She's really great. She was saying like, take a look at this. Well, she showed him a video of the clubhouse back in his at his country club, which was jam packed with with golfers he's given lessons to, with friends, with family, and proceeded to tell him that his son had had uh, organized this block party at the club and that the son had said it's, it was, it, it, this was the greatest day of his life. And which of course uh, choked up Michael block to no end. And I mean, who wouldn't, I mean, as if he wasn't choked up to begin with um, to be a, you know, a club pro right up there. And, and he with, and he drops the putt on 18 which yeah that was which, cool you know i mean it's just drizzles right to the hole and then plops in at the very end i mean it's almost like caddyshack 
um, the, it was a Caddyshack ending. I mean, it was just so stunning. And then that um, enabled him to tie for 15th, which gives him an exemption um, for next year's PGA. So he, he's already slated to play at Valhalla next year. Plus, what came in afterwards was he's going to play next week in the tournament on 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 the on the tour. Uh, next in the next week, he's been invited and he's been in, invited to the Canadian Open. So we're going to see more of him, and you know he's got game. Uh, you know, and and he's uh, very poised, but he's got a great golf temperament. He kind of reminds me of one of my old idols, Fuzzy Zeller who would whistle around the course uh, literally and figuratively and have, you know, just made golf so much fun um, for everyone around him. And he's got that kind of a personality, which was quite the, the contrast to Brooks Kepka, who has a great story going all of his own, which we'll get to, but I mean, Kepka kind of broods his way around the course. He's very intense, very, you know, kind of in locked into his own, you know, mindset and doesn't want any distractions. The amazing thing about Michael Block was he was interviewed left and right. There were all these distractions. The crowds were going nuts for him. And yet he managed to, you know, when he addressed the ball each time he, he swung the club, he managed to be laser focused in the moment, you know, and um, Kepka to his credit was laser focused every step he took on those courses and won his fifth major um, third time PGA winner, which only he's the sixth golfer ever to win the PGA three plus times um, and joins just an incredible list of players like Jack Nicholas um, and some of the all time greats who've ever done that um, Tiger Woods. So um, wow. What a tournament. I mean, Kepka, he had the answers when he needed them most on that back nine. And got to give a ton of credit. When you and I were talking last time, um, Kyle, after the uh, Masters, I was saying, like, you know, keep an eye on Victor Hovland. This kid is mm -hmm. really coming on strong. He's he's up there in the leaderboards on all the major tournaments now, and he's, he's getting so close. And I was so so impressed with the way Victor Hovland held it together. Um, but just when, you know, it looked like Hovland could tie for the lead, Kepke answered with some really clutch um, putts for saving par. Um, and then came the just unbelievable turn of events um, on the uh, 16th hole when and the same thing happened to Corey Connors from Canada who was up at the top of the leaderboard on Saturday I mean now that was in the rain um which might have affected the sand but there was Hovland in the sand trap um and had a tricky shot coming out to get to the green and unbelievably the same thing happened to Connors is the he skulls the shot right in and plugs it right into the bank. I mean, it, it got no air on it whatsoever. Same exact thing happened to Corey Connors, which for pro golfers, I mean, I don't know how often I've ever seen that. 
I mean, I've seen them clip the bank and the ball goes forward, but goes nowhere close to the green. But both times, you know, the ball just went straight into the embankment, one inch above the sand and plugged deep. So, but the, the one thing that was one reprieve was that you don't get a penalty stroke for, for being able to pull out a plug ball like that. But now when you drop it, you've got to, he had a had to drop it into the rough next to the trap and had to basically play a half shot. Couldn't had no shot at the green. So yeah, the only time the only time I've seen something like that is at the um what is it the Royal St George's where the bunkers are like super deep into the ground. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's the only time I've seen something like that. Right, and those embankments are mean are like seven feet tall at times. Um, in some of those bunkers when you're trying to come out and they have bunker cams in there now, but that was almost bizarre. Like almost felt like the golf gods were trying to make a statement of like, you know, I mean this, that shot really took Corey Connors out of it. And of course now it, it took, um, you know, the double bogey there on, on 16 took Victor out of it. Um, you know, he's now behind by three. Because wouldn't you know, on the same hole, Kepka drains the putt for three and birdies it. So it's like a, three, a one point, a one stroke lead turned to, I think Kepka then went to um, minus 10 and then Hovland sunk down to, uh, to minus seven. So now it was three strokes with two holes to go. And I got to give Hovland so much credit he handled it with such grace and poise and and you know to come back and then birdie the 18th as Hovland did which is a really tough hole it's a three on that 18th is it's an amazing score to tie him for second place was Scotty Scheffler who was who was looming and lurking the whole tournament but just never was able to find um a, a, a hot streak that he could ride and sustain. I mean, he was, he was birding here and there, and then he'd have a setback bogey, but on that course, it's so almost expected. I mean, Kepka, you know, yesterday, <laughs> I mean, he had, well, what was it? Um, four bogeys, four, five, or th yeah, four four bogeys um three on par fours and one on a par three so and he wound up shooting 67 so he had seven birdies that's quite around i mean that's that's coming right out flat out taking it by the horns and winning it but i remember it, i think it was the 14th hole or it might have been the 12th it was the 12th or the 14th where Dottie Pepper, who I think is just one of the best analysts in golf. Um, Kepka was a little bit off the green, but he was putting and he had a, a, a side winding putt down to the hole that was tricky and you can't blast those or they'll go flying by. And she said right then as a kind of a prescient moment um, that this is the kind of putt that when Brooks Kepka wins, he makes somehow finds a way to make, and it's a signature, you know, it like leads the way. 
And sure enough, he curled the thing down, down, down. This was just when Hovland was, was looking like he was going to tie for the lead. And ba-boom, it, 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 he sinks it and, you know, cards a three on the par four. Wow. Uh, you know, from there, he basically had to play um, even golf from 14 on, which he did. He, he had one two pars, one birdie, one bogey. Mm-hmm. And uh, for 33 on the back nine was 67. I mean, you know, Kepka following the tournament was, I think, more personable than I think I've ever seen him. He was giving shout outs to the, to the crowd and how he's won three times in New York. And he's really bonded with the, with the crowd. And, you know, let's face it. I mean, being one of the live more pro- high profile live golfers, you know, I think there are some who question how a, you know, how a live golfer should be allowed to play in a, in a PGA championship when he's, you know, <clears throat> playing in another league, you know, so, um, but they have made that, you know, maybe that, maybe, I don't know, maybe this brings Kepka back to the PGA um, because, um, you know, the love that he got from the fans in New York um, was, was profound um, and I think very meaningful to him. And it was pointed out on the broadcast that, uh, that, one of the reasons why they thought he made the jump to live was he was so concerned about his knee injury that he wondered if he'd ever be all that competitive again. So taking those, you know, millions of dollars for not even teeing up yet to go join that tour, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Saudi tour, uh, it was attractive to him as kind of like a, you know, um, security blanket in case the knee didn't respond and he didn't, you know, wasn't able to fight back. But that's the other big story here is that Kepka, you know, a couple of years ago was, was, you know, really tore, tore out his knee. And there was question as to whether he could ever regain his old form. And this weekend, there's no doubt he's back and he's probably back to stay, you know, um, in the world of golf, right up near the top of, of the, uh, you know, best players in the world because he's got the he's got the complete package um he always has the question with him is at times has been his putting but he has evolved as a tremendous putter now and you know so uh and he's got five majors under his belt three pgas he's headed for the golf hall of fame um without question and you know it was just great golf that he delivered, but also the challenge that, that H- Victor Hovland gave to him. I mean, he, he fought him tooth and nail for 16 holes. And, um, in this final round was within one shot or so all the way. So it made for compelling golf. And, um, that's what you want. I mean, he, otherwise Kepka could have been just running away from the pack and it might've been just been a ho-hum ending. Instead, it was really exciting. Of course, with adding the, um, the, the just sheer, um, you know, uh, brilliance of Michael Block to that picture. Wow. It was made, made for great TV. Um, and, and it was great for the game of golf. I mean, these guys, like they, the slogan says, these guys are good. 
<laughs> I've got a I've got a question for you, Walter. Do you think you can name the golfers since 2000? So it's 23 years ago, golfers since 2000 who have won five or more major championships. Oh, great question. Well, Tigers obviously won. Yes. Okay. So Kepka. Kepka. Right. Scheffler? No. Not quite Scotty Scheffler. I think no, he has yeah. two. He or just one? has two. Wow. Um, no, he just has the one. He just has the Masters. He just has the one. Oh, that's incredible. Um, wait a minute. John Rahm? No, no. Not John Rahm. I think he's got two. Right. Maybe two. That's a great question. Jordan Spieth? Jordan Spieth has three. Uh, Rahm has, has two, by the way. Just three. Wow. Yes. How many are there? There are three total. The last okay, one well, is. No, let me guess. Let me guess. Okay. Let me hang with you and guess. All right. So since 2000, I'm going to figure this out. Jason Day? It's not Jason Day. Is it a European? It is an American. It's an American. Jason Day, by the way, still only has the one PGA championship. I was surprised by that. I know. It's hard. You're great with history like this. Um, it's easier when I have the list, but you're yeah. correct. I would have thought he had two. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Tell us. Uh, you're going to be hitting yourself for forgetting it. It's Phil Mickelson. Oh, yeah. Oh, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka. The right. only people this century to have five major championships. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was good for the live play. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau was up there. I mean, he's, did he come back from live? Is he still in live? He's still in live. Yeah. Um, you know, he was, he made it, had a good tournament, finished at minus three, tied for fourth. Um, yeah. Kirk Kitayama, who had mm -hmm. a good tournament. The young Aussie Davis uh, had a great tournament. He was tied there for, for fourth, uh, made a great birdie on 18th. Um, you know, Rory had a Rory had a up and down. I mean, early on it looked like he was just really struggling on, on Thursday, and then he had that epic chip in from down below a green when it just looked like he was going to double and go to like plus five or something. Yeah. I think he was at plus two and, um, and he chips in for par. So he stays at plus two and then he birdies the next hole. And, um, you know, that kind of reinvigorated him. And even the announcers were all saying like, he just looks totally demoralized. Just doesn't seem like he has his game. But after the 71, he posted three straight 69s, which uh, to his credit, and he was saying afterwards, you know, they were lauding him for being competitive. And he said, yeah, well, I, I don't have to be at my best to be competitive, but I have to be at my best to win. And I thought that was a pretty cool distinction that he drew there. And 
but Rory's such a great ambassador for the game of golf and he his the way he hung in there knowing he's he he's been struggling with his game some lately and but to go 69 69 69 in the last three rounds after really coming out of the gate struggling there was was really something you know um and it was so cool that he was with uh, Michael Block on the last day i mean for Michael Block i mean he's I'm sure he just was like um delirious to be able to play with a Rory McIlroy on on a sunday at the PGA championship and keep pace with Rory McIlroy. I mean, he only finished two strokes behind him at the end of the day. And right, uh, right. you know, he he beat out a bunch of people. I know Justin Thomas missed the cut, but like, it's I mean, there's lots of names you can find that you played better than. But to kind of play on the last day with Rory McIlroy was probably pretty cool because of all the golfers you could pick, that's got to be one at the top if you're gonna kind of play out a final round. Yeah, and you had a you had to pick one golfer to play with. That's a pretty good one. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, John Rahm, they had him on, he's, they've been using him as a color commentator at times when he's, he's, you know, um, not in up at the leaderboard, which is rare when he's not, but even, you know, to John Rahm's credit was, Hey, he's beating me by seven strokes when he's talking about Michael block. Um, at the time it was seven uh, and it ended up six, but still, I mean, the number one player in the world at the PGA championship shoots plus seven for the tournament and Michael block who raise your hand. If you knew who Michael block was before this weekend, <laughs> uh, just the people not. in California, right? I did not. And um, now uh, he's a golf darling. Without without a doubt, and I think you're going to see more of him. The, the The question will be, you know, this is a guy who could end up going to the senior tour and really carving a name for himself there too. I mean, he's 46, so um, wow, it's just it's still like just goosebumps um, to to think of what he did and to you know. Uh, but he also um, pocketed a cool two hundred eighty-eight thousand. Tied fifteenth. That I can pay a mortgage. <laughs> well, uh, I I don't know what his financial situation is like. He's right. you know making hundred fifty dollars an hour teaching golf, uh, but two hundred eighty-eight thousand is good for yeah. anyone. I think his days of teaching golf are probably going to be pretty few now. I think he loves the game enough that he's going to do it for his, his you know, most, um, you know, uh, frequent clients perhaps, but particularly during the off season, but in California, you can do that. But I think he's as a player, I mean, I love his swing and I love his comportment. Like I said, I think he's, he reminds me a lot, even his style of play is fuzzy Zeller. Um, the way he digs, Zeller used to get down and really dig, dig out shots and, and, um, and stay through the ball. That's, that's, that's Michael Block in a nutshell. 
he really gets down and through there's there's and there's his, his excellent ball contact um ball striking um and good shaping on his shots he can go he he can work the ball both ways as a lot of these uh club pros can they teach to they teach their they need to teach their their clients how to draw the ball and how to fade the ball and so you have to know those swings and you have to have them down i mean i once <laughs> uh was at a clinic with chichi rodriguez Mm. where this was on Cape Cod, where he put on a display where he put down two balls and take like a five iron. And he, he'd fade the first one and draw the second one. And dang, if they almost hit in midair, going past each other, crisscrossing. I mean, it was such a, it was in such an incra- a crazy spectacle. And such a great display of, of control of a golf club. I mean, so, you know, and to be able to do both in golf, um, to have a command of those kind of swings. I mean, to fade the ball, you need to swing outside in a little bit outside in. To fade to to draw the ball, you've got to swing a little bit outside inside out. So it takes a you know it takes a lot of practice and. But once you start getting the feel, and there's some hand action you can add to it um, to create more spin. But uh, but I mean, this is a guy who can, he's got every shot in his bag. Um, and, uh, oh, it's exciting for golf. And, you know, and he's going to get a chance to play some more tournaments. And I'm yeah. sure the, the coverage on CBS or NBC or whichever one of the tournaments are on are going to be following him, which is cool because yeah. like you said, it, it sounds like it was the story of the weekend. It was, you know, I mean, uh, not to take away from Brooks Kepka and Victor Hovland and Scotty Scheffler made a, you know, for Scheffler to get to, 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 uh, to get a course leading post a course leading 65 yesterday was stunning. And, uh, yeah, he's, it looks like he's getting his game back in order. Um, next major is the U S open in June. So, you know, uh, you gotta like his chances because to see how Kepka, you know, um, plays there. Victor Hovland, like I said, you knock on the door like this with the kind of poise that he's demonstrated, I think he's just got a great temperament and a really solid golf game and was putting just beautifully yesterday. Um, if you can putt beautifully like that on day four of a major, um, boy, I mean, you take that, that double bogey away, which was such a fluke. And it's such a game of inches too, Kyle, because you know, on that drive that went into the, to the trap, it just narrowly, you know, just three yards to the left, and he doesn't have any of that trouble. You know, he just got it inside, just an inch to, and then on Kepka's ensuing drive, of course, Hovland had the honor set, and he was he had the momentum, and it looked like he was going to catch Kepka right then. It was going to come down to the last putt of the tournament. And then Kepka bombed his right at the same trap, only he carried the trap and um, wound up in, in the rough, but then made an amazing shot out of the rough uh, 
um, to salvage par, I believe he had on that hole. Um, wow. I mean, it was just really great golf. Uh, the, the drama was fantastic. The fans were amazing. Um, you know, golf is now just, it's thriving without Tiger, but we got to give Tiger a lot of credit because he, he inspired a, these generations. Multiple um, and, now. Right. And, you know, he brought a lot of fanfare to the game of golf, as did the forerunners with Jack and Arnie and, but now golf, the the fever pitch for golf is at an all time high. I think, um, I mean, the anticipation of these majors and the the, the turnouts of these crowds and the, and the 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 spirit of these crowds is just really stunning and and makes it all the more fun. And it's also becoming more of a like you know there are holes that become like amphitheaters. That by design, I mean, some of these courses are like even, you know, creating struck amphitheater type structures around holes where patrons can and, and fans can sit and have a cold one and watch each group come through with the benefit of flat screens around them, showing them the TV coverage that you and I see. I mean, that is a golfer, golf fans experiences. Wow, I mean, how how does it get better than that? Mm -hmm. um, when you Especially when it looked like for a while there was going to be drama at the end between Brooks yeah. and Hovland. I mean, granted, by 16, you kind of knew it was over. But when we were on 11, 12, 13, it looked like it was going to come right down to the end. Right. Yep. Yep. And uh, golf's like such a game of breaks, too. You know, like... Um, how how some of these guys can wiggle out of trouble is pretty amazing. I mean, the one drive that Kepka just bombed way right. Um, I forget which hole it was, but um, he somehow managed to uh, get his next shot close to the green and didn't didn't bogey. Um, it's times like that where you can get really lucky. And yeah, I don't want to use that term. I mean, you shot 72, 66, 66, 67. You know, 66 in the rain was brilliant. And then, you know, 67. To go 66, 66, 67, the last three days of the PGA is just, you know, a clinic. Uh, you, you know, let's, let's, let's doff our hats to him because uh, he deserves it. And um, he's won a cool 3.15 mil uh, in the process and and a fifth major, the Wanamaker jug, which is so classic. And see him hoisted and be so happy. And he's got a baby coming, he and his wife. Things are looking up for Brooks Kepka. And, you know, I think it would be a great move for him to come back to the PGA and feed off these fans that he won't get anywhere else in the world. Not quite like this. Um, and if it was for sure, you know, his way of, you know, I don't know how much they're locked in. Do you, when they commit to live, I mean, uh, do they have an easy way out or do they have uh, to give back money or what, what's, what was the agreement? I don't know the specific details of Brooks Kepka's deal. Let me see if I can look it up real quick. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, but I mean, like you said, also, it, he had a lot of bogeys and he missed a lot of fairways. It was really the putting was the difference, which I know it's it's one of the most cliches you can say in golf is that right. putting is the difference. But he he gained legitimately four strokes on the rest of the field by hitting these 25 foot putts throughout the weekend. Yeah, he made a few of those. and But also his. He had the strength to get the ball out of the rough. Um, these spongy, deep. Um, Trevor Emmel, El, Emmelman put it perfectly. It was like hitting through a patch of of uh, wet shoelaces. I mean, you never know where the ball's going to go, and you know, and it's just thick. And but you have to have great strength to be able to to um, get the ball out of those. You know, when you're in the rough like that, and Kepka um, displayed that. DeChambeau did at times as well. Hovland was pretty steady hitting fairways, but he too found a way to, you know, hit through the rough at times when he needed to. Scheffler struggled with that. Some he got hurt on it, but also rebounded um, really well yesterday. Um, from you know he had the seventy three on uh, in the rain um, that was the tough because he had sixty seven sixty eight and sixty five the seventy three cost him the tournament but you know he's with a bounce back of sixty five yesterday putting him at two seventy three for the tourney that's 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 great golf and um, you know he's have put putting forth quite a charge I think he's. Mm -hmm two or three in the world right now um and uh deservingly so he's been right up there playing great golf also to answer your brooks kepka question earlier he is under contract through 2025 with live golf so the rest of this year and then two more seasons he's under contract oh too bad well can you break the contract I don't know the terms of the con. I imagine it's like signing a contract with any professional sports team, which is like either the league cuts bait with you or right. you negotiate a buyout. I don't know. Right. Exactly. Um, but I don't, I just don't know the specific details of live golf's contracts. I just know he signed through 2025. All right. Well, well, the way things are going, I, you know, I think they're still going to just allow the, to live players to play in the majors. So as long as they qualify, because I know for some right. of the players, you, you, if you don't get those exemptions, you have to like qualify on the PGA tour. And I think they get like five years of credits that run through. So I guess maybe after five years, some of those guys like Charles Schwartzel won't get to play in the majors, but by that point they'll be 43 and have made a whole lot of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe Joaquin Neiman or something like that. I don't know. So is is Sep Straka in the in live? I don't know. Let me look it up. Sep Straka. The top live golfers this weekend were Brooks Kepka, um, Bryson DeChambeau. So Kepka won. DeChambeau tied for fourth. Sep um, is a PGA tour. Okay. Uh, Cameron Smith, I love that kid. Um, top, t uh, he made a charge at the end. I didn't realize he yeah. finished in the top 10. Yeah, tied for ninth. 
Um, um, looking down, yes. Patrick Reed was a top 20. Yes, he was uh, tied for 18th. So he was up there too. So the live showing was good. But I don't know if they have the personalities. Uh, I mean, I don't know about other people. I just feel like Phil Mickelson just doesn't, you know, kind of, I don't know what got in him, but it's just, it feels really, really bad. Yeah, Phil just, Mickelson's never done it for me. I mean, one of the first shows we did, I was <laughs> I, I talked about I don't understand the infatuation with Phil Mickelson other than he was the second best golfer at the same time as Tiger Woods and they kind of built the Tiger right. Phil story, but I mean, I looked up the major champions to ask you the Brooks Kepka question. Phil won his first major 19 years ago. <laughs> it's a long time in golf. Right. Not- well, the allure of Phil Mickelson, and maybe he's doing the live thing kind of the way he plays golf, is that he's one of those golfers. He's kind of like, you know, Bubba Watson-esque. Bubba Watson's kind of like Phil. They want to go for it on every shot. Mm-hmm. And also they have the creativity to hit lob shots around the green. You know, they're very creative and they want to, they want to go. It's like hero ball. They play hero ball, and fans love that. Um, you know, and it's cost. It's probably, you know, helped them win some tournaments, but it's it's had them cost some tournaments, like uh, Mickelson's really tough PGA that he lost that he was in command of that when he tried to go around the corner unnecessarily and uh, mm-hmm. you know hit a hit a tree limb and you know branching. Yeah, Dustin Johnson's kind of the same with, way. With, uh, you know, Mont- Colin Montgomery somehow ending up winning. Um, <clears throat> it, that was a really stunning, um, dramatic end to what Phil had going, a great, great tournament. Um, but, you know, it's like, and the it's the old no risk it, no biscuit philosophy, kind of like, John Daly, grip it and rip it, um, you know, that fans kind of love and appreciate. So I, I get the allure, but I mean, Phil, we f- finished plus 10 tied for 58th. Uh, it just doesn't look, you know, Phil had the image of the family man and, you know, and, and his wife and kids and around the green. And one year he even missed a major to, to attend, um, a function of his daughters and you know he had this whole really solid image going for himself and you know it almost feels like he sold his soul um, to live golf and and created this fire helped to create this firestorm that I mean if you're a darling of the PGA Tour why would you ever leave if it weren't just you know just for the money I mean, I mean he so framed like- it as a labor battle. I mean, the PGA Tour had been, they needed pressure on the PGA Tour to help secure better wages and percentages of prize money because they don't have a union. That was the way Phil was framing it in the initial infatuations with Liv when they were trying to just find any league. It wasn't like they were guaranteed to be- make deals with the Saudis. They were just trying to form any league. And 
I guess I could understand that part of it, but that doesn't apply to Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson also got the sweet $200 million signing bonus to join Live Golf, which I'm sure was helpful in addition to all the other stuff. Well, that came then, right. And then you learn about his gambling debts and that puts more context to it. Um, and whether that bailed him out of his gambling debts, but, um, or what was, um, no, I'm going to look I up mean, the quote that he gave Alex. There's Shipman. something to be said about working with the organization that helped make you who you are. And, um, no, I mean, so I, it's just, it's just awkward. I mean, he just looks differently. He just, it's just the whole looks different. It's just the whole aura is different. And that's just me. I mean, that's my own perception. I mean, I was never a gung-ho Mickelson fan, but I was always an admirer because of his style of play. And, and he, because because of some of the genius shots he'd pull off. He was like the American Seve to me, Seve Ballesteros. Um, you know, same kind of style, only lefty. Um, Seve was a righty, but a lefty American version of Seve Ballesteros. Just the creativity, the imagination, all of that was alluring and attractive. At this point now, I don't know at his age whether he really has the game to pull it off anymore, um, or the length um, and the distance to um, you know hang with the young bucks. Which, by the way, I think Kepka was the first thirty-year-old to win a major in a while, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the recent winners have all been in their twenties um, of the majors, um, so. He was the first 50-year-old major winner in a long time. Who's that? Phil, when he won the... Oh, yeah, um, when he won, right. Yeah, when he won the, the PGA. Masters, when he won the Masters, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's post-50 now, right? He's yeah, no, he's post-50 for sure. Yeah, see, well, you know, I don't know. I, I, I've appreciated... Rory McIlroy for his outspokenness. It's taken a lot out of him. Mm-hmm. But Rory is loyal and he embraces the history too much to want to embrace the money over the history and the, you know, um, and the loyalty that he feels towards the PGA for giving him, a, you know, the opportunities, these opportunities that, you know, are, have allowed him to emerge as not only one of the best golfers in the world, but I think one of the best diplomats of golf. And, and uh, you know, and, and uh, I've, you've heard me, I think, say this before. I call him the Paul McCartney of golf. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the way Paul McCartney embraced the USA and, the way it's similar to, you know, Rory has done so similarly. And, you know, and, and he's, they're both just avid fans of America and very grateful for the opportunities that they've had here, that they always have here. They're very supportive of America when we're under duress. And it's nice to know, you know, and it's nice to have that, um, 
their endorsement because they're they're men of principle and they're men of of loyalties and uh it's nice it, it rubs you kind of nice to see uh you know how mccartney was after 9 11 i mean you know and, and and raising money and you know it just i mean rory would do the same he would use his platform for humanitarian purposes um and global purposes um it's kind of nice yeah and I wanted to ask you this real quick before we go out. Like, do you feel like Rory has been kind of worn down by all the constant questioning about live golf? And I know they did a TV show for Netflix where they kind of addressed it a little bit. Does it feel, cause I know he was getting questioned this time around about not being as vocal on live golf this year. Correct. Do you feel like he's kind of been burnt out by all of the yeah. being a diplomat for golf stuff. He's basically, admitted to that and said it took a lot out of him and at this point now he just he's said his piece he's said and acted in the manner in which um he felt um most uh comfortable for him but even though it was all of it was uncomfortable but um to stand up for what he believed in and now he wants to be left alone and i think um, you know, there's still the, the press can be, you know, nagging and harrowing. Um, but I think he's just going to defer, um, to say I, I've addressed that and moving on because if there comes a point where it's just dis distracting from his own focus. And, um, you know, what I love about Rory too is that. Like yesterday, I mean, Rory was trying to make a push to get up in the leaders. You you knew he wanted to be, you know, shoot a 65 and um, like Scheffler did <laughs> and make, make a charge. You just knew he did. But as the day went on and his game was going back and forth and his card was like up and down, he really embraced what was going on with Michael Block. I mean, he left himself to be there for Michael Block, someone I'm not sure he knows probably very well, um, but he was witnessing a special moment in golf. Whether Michael Block had hit the hole in one, I mean, that was the icing on the cake. That was the coup de grace. Even then, you know, even if he shot 73 without that, um, for him to go 70, 70, 70, 70, even 73, even 75, to go 70, 70, 70, that's 70 in the rain on, and to see the putts he was making down the stretch um, was just stunning. I mean, it was just riveting golf to watch him. You, know, you couldn't get enough of it. Sorry, I'm on yeah. mute. There you go. Sorry, I was muted. I was responding by saying that I think Rory's in a really interesting position with that. And like you were talking about earlier, I think leaving him alone is something that he kind of values because I didn't remember Rory being that outspoken guy before and right. being right. In, in a way like a not necessarily a freedom fighter, but just like a pro 
PGA tour, like a golf diplomat is a good way to phrase it. Right. And I just don't remember him being that person before. And maybe that's just not the life that he wants to live. He was just kind of stepping up as a leader on the tour. I mean, he is one of the older guys now on the tour, which is crazy to think about and watching that in real time. He is the veteran who even the young guys on the tour looked up to now because there's a 12 year age gap between him and uh, say Xander Shoffley. Right. Well, you and I both know as podcasters, you know, we can, we stand up and take stands for, you know, um, observations that we, we believe in, you know, um, analyses that we believe in, which are really, you know, ripe for the moment. But after a while, doesn't it just get repetitive? Like you can't keep making the same arguments over. It just gets like a broken record. Because if, if the, what you're arguing didn't get through the first time and it didn't get through the second time, Chances are it's never going to get through. And how how often do you want to just kind of keep arguing over and over the same points? You know, I mean, I hit that. I've hit that on several of the, the positions that I've taken, you know, with the Cardinals. And there are just some people who just will, you know, um, like people now talking about Kyler Murray as a poor, poor victim. Um, you know, I mean, if poor, poor victims don't draw so much attention to themselves, I mean, he left himself wide open. And I'm hoping the best for Kyler. But, you know, I can't keep making the same arguments over and over and over without driving myself insane. Mm-hmm. And driving others insane. I mean, it gets to be like a broken record. So when you apply this, something like that to Rory McIlroy, who's made all the cogent points as to why this has not been good for golf. And, um, and you know, I mean, for standing up, for being loyal to, to uh, the PGA, you know, he's, he made his stand. Now, he, you know, the, the points aren't going to change. His arguments aren't going to change. And so he's moving on. And I think that's smart. And he wants to just kind of get back to, you know, golf as he knows it and be in the zone um, without this constant distraction. Yeah. And it's why I have immense respect for people who do champion causes of wanting to achieve some level of progress or wanting to be in the majority and fighting for the minority opinion. I mean, Rory McIlroy is labor, but he's not labor in the same group of people he's fighting for, which are for the people who are at the the bottom rung of the PGA tour, making $60,000 a year or trying to get their tour card or whatever it might be. I have immense respect for those people because you're fighting for, you're doing it because it's the right thing to do, not necessarily that it's best for you or best for your intentions, but doing the doing the right thing is often a great motivator. I've got immense respect for people who will stand on that principle. And if Rory's yeah. been burnt out by it and he kind of saw the need for leadership at a, a vulnerable time for the PGA Tour, respect to him. And if he wants to step away, I think he's 
he's done more than enough for being yes. a golf diplomat. Yes, he deserves to be left alone and get back to just trying to find his 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 you know his complete passion for for what he does and not un, uninterrupted passion and giving him that space, I think would be wise. And, you know, it comes back to this too. We come full circle and I'll finish with this note is that, you know, I mean, if it weren't for the PGA and this was kind of the great irony, I mean, a live golfer won it yesterday, but weren't for the PGA, we would have never seen what, you know, what Michael um, Block did, um, the way that you know it was just so stunning. I mean, in, in essence, I mean, he said he dedicated to the fourteen thousand professional um, club pros, a, a, a few of which get invited to this this prestigious championship because of how the PGA honors its teachers and the men and women who have committed themselves to teaching the game of golf and showing a passion for it. I mean, you wouldn't see this on the live tour. Um, this would have never happened. So, you know, just to be, have a privileged part of, like you're saying for the little guys down the bottom of the board, well, that extends out to the PGA pros who teach the game, who occasionally get to have, you know, be, be, you know, have a five-minute dogfight um, that could lead to four rounds of of glory for not only the, the the golfer who breaks through and shows that club pros can actually compete in these championships, but for the other club pros who take such pride in the game and are so good at teaching it. Because without them, I mean, the teachers, I mean, it's paying homage to the teachers. Um, you know, and it's kind of uh, it's a wonderful thing and it was never so celebrated like it was this weekend and particularly yesterday um, to see what Michael Block pulled off and that's why this weekend was called fittingly so a block party alright before we go today Walter I want we do this after most uh after most of these podcasts, what are your thoughts about the U.S. Open? Do you have a prediction? Do you have any thoughts? What are you looking ahead towards for the next time we do a golf show? Yeah, I'll, I'll have a more informed when I do a little more of the background of the, you know, studying the course. Um, you know, I just, what's so exciting about golf today and these majors is, the young guns who are also good and capable, you know, I think the store, the, obviously the, the biggest story going in will be, you know, at the top of the, you know, the chain with Rom and Scheffler. And now will Kepka be able to, you know, is he back for good, you know, for majors? I mean, Rory respond, come back strong. That'll be the big question. Um, you know, got to shout out to like guys like Shane Lowry from Scotland. Every major seems to make a splash. You know, they're not there. You know, he hasn't won many. But, you know, I mean, 
he wound up tied for 12th. Uh, you know, they're, they're great international stories um, all over the place on these, you know, um, your boy Xander Shoffley, um, I think is, I love his game. And I think if he's someone who can, who can really um, challenge uh, for the, for the U S open this year. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. And I'm really going to be looking at, um, you know, Victor Hovland going forward. He, he's won me over as a fan um, because uh, just his style of play, his steadiness, his poise yesterday. I mean, you would have never known that he just knew, you know, he never looked like he just utterly lost the golf tournament, even though everyone pretty much knew. Um <sighs> It's just so, uh, it was so deflating. I mean, for us, I mean, I was just like, I was crestfallen. I was like, so pulling for him, you know. I always love pulling for guys who haven't won a major yet, who have been knocking on the door, you know. But Shawflay down in, in LA, you know, near your neck of the woods, I, I think Shawflay is going to be a factor. Um, Victor could be a factor. There's just so many. And then do you get the Spieth and, and JT elements? Are they coming back strong? Um, and then, of course, you have Max Homo. Max is a SoCal, SoCal guy mm-hmm. who plays really well down there. Um, you know. Um, well, there's one, there's one story, and I know you love a story, so I came prepared with this one today. Oh, because, good. Uh, there's one story that we haven't mentioned here. You mentioned Shoffley, who's a San Diego guy, grew up about 20 minutes from where I lived and grew up yeah. when I was a child. Um, wow. But there's one person who's even closer. So this is the first U.S. Open in Los Angeles in 75 years. And there's one golfer looking for that third major who grew up in Los Angeles about 15 minutes away from this course. And it is one Colin Morikawa. Oh yeah. I think that oh. uh, Colin Morikawa just might, cause he's already won the PGA. Absolutely. He won the open championship. This could right. be his third on the quest to completing the career grand slam. So Colin Morikawa in his hometown could be uh, a good pick. Fans. You've heard it from little rock himself. I mean, that is a really great connection. And the SoCal connections are going to be strong down there with these SoCal golfers. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, great call on that. And the fact that we're mentioning so many of them, I mean, there's just so many guys that are capable of winning um, these majors. It makes it so exciting. And I love the four days of coverage. And now with it being in L.A., the, it'll be on into the night out here in the East. Um, it'll be spectacular golf uh june 15th to 18th fans um it's the next major and until then uh thanks so much kyle for inviting me after each majors and after the um we also do a um um the uh, players championship we treat as a fifth major and we talk about Mm -hmm. um on tie podcast but thanks it's really a joy to I was in Brooklyn for the weekend with my daughter and my son-in-law, um, Eric, my daughter, Allie, and my 
my grandkids, um, and they were really into it, especially watching Michael Block. Um, I came back yesterday, so I, just my good pal Trish and I watched it together. But Saturday afternoon in Brooklyn watching that with my family was and Michael Block making it as special as it was. I think I just created some new golf fans. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're not that into golf, but suddenly they were like, whoa. And my, I could see my grand girls, you know, perking up a little bit. So yeah, that was fun and uh, fun to be a part of. And it was really fun to be able to tell them, yeah, going to be with Kyle on Monday and talk about this. And that's a privilege and I really appreciate it. Well, that's super sweet. I appreciate that. And I'm glad that you got to not just watch golf this weekend, but watch golf with your family. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you should have seen the lunch we had. Oh, my God. In uh, Fort Greene in Brooklyn um, at this place called Walters. (laughs) (laughs) And Oh, man, it was awesome. In the pouring rain, we were sitting outside, fortunately, with a covered um, awning um, at a you know, squeezing into a round table with the, well, let's see, four, six of us. And, oh, it was so much fun. Um, we we made ourselves a little merry at lunch. Let's just put it that way. Uh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. The tournament was just right down the block from where you were. I mean, not really. Well, Rochester upstate. to Brooklyn right. is a different, right. but right. closer than I would have thought about. Well, all the buzz in New York was what was going on back in Boston because of the three nights of Taylor Swift concerts, <laughs> which, which is why Trish and I had to hustle back yesterday because of the potential traffic for the Taylor Swift. Um, I live five minutes from Gillette Stadium where the uh, where the ter- where the concerts were, and I couldn't. You know, there were a number of people. We we went to a school fair and talked to people. There were people there whose spouses were in Boston to see the tournament, to, to see the, the concert. So the buzz around New York was Taylor Swift in Boston. We were like, wow, people talking about it everywhere. And uh, we were even at a Dunkin' Donuts uh, in, in uh, Connecticut. And <laughs> this guy walks in and the, and the, the, uh, the barista Asked him, "Hey, how's your brother doing? Where Where is he?" And he goes, "Oh, he's in Boston." <laughs> and I almost screamed over, "What, Tw- Taylor Swift?" <laughs> I mean, everybody <laughs> in New York was in Boston to see Taylor Swift. What a uh... <laughs> so there was a buzz everywhere going this week. It was kind of cool, and um, you know, the golf was certainly a great factor in it. And, uh... So thanks again for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on, Walter, and sharing your thoughts and talking golf. Okay, pal. Anytime, and we'll talk next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.